Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. By the way, how many of you had opportunity to hear the interview I had with Richard Kennedy Saturday night? Had a wonderful interview, and come in January, uh, Mr. Kennedy's going to have me back on his program to talk more about the Jewish festivals and wants to do this on an interval uh, basis. And so next week I'm supposed to meet with him in a programming uh, producer to talk about some of the shows, some of the ideas I have of having some Jewish ministry, messianic ministry on the air. So we'll see where that leads. Any, in any case, uh, Mr. Kennedy loves our ministry, loves our uh, calling. And so we have a, just a great advocate at KKLA. So uh, that was a, a wonderful open door. Next month, we'll be running 12 one-minute spots that will advertise um, a series that I'm going to do in December on messianic prophecy. So we're just going to look at some key messianic prophecies from the beginning of December leading up to the end when we'll have uh, Marty Getz will be here uh, the 21st and he'll be doing a concert. So during this month we'll focus on messianic prophecy, the Jewishness of Christmas you might say, and uh, there'll be some ads running on KKLA. So pray that as people hear the ads they might uh, respond and might come and visit, more importantly, bring some of their Jewish friends, that they might hear the good news in a context in which they might more clearly and more closely identify with. Now, if you have your Bibles, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, I want to continue in Ephesians. We're coming to the end, and after today, uh, next week is Hanukkah, so we'll be talking about that, and then we're going to do Messianic prophecy, so I'm not going to come back to Ephesians until we're done. So that's going to mean sometime in January. But we come to this wonderful passage about putting on the whole armor of God and spiritual warfare. So we're going to pick that up come uh, in January. So I wanted to finish up this section uh, today, otherwise I would have spoken more directly on Thanksgiving. But nevertheless, take a look at these passages with me. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children. See, we should not have dismissed our children. We should have had them sitting here front and center, shouldn't we? Well, it's too late. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Messiah. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Messiah doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This whole section is a section about submission. As I said last week, when Paul gets to the second half of all of his letters, he always deals with the practical application of the theological truths he has been teaching just before that. So in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, he's been telling us what our benefits are in Messiah. We are seated in the heavenly places and all kinds of wonderful things the Lord has bestowed upon us. You can read of them in chapters 1 to 3. Most importantly is the extending of his grace to us. For it is by grace we are saved and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so Paul wants us to understand that God has granted us great things by his grace. But what is the significance of those great things? The significance of those great things is not just that we might benefit by them, but that we might be transformed in our lives because of them, that we might live differently. And so he tells us in the latter section of Ephesians chapters 4 through 6, this is how you ought to live in light of the truths you now are the recipients of. Now in the first half of how it is we ought to live, he deals with attitudes. He deals with the internal fiber of our lives and how it is we view one another, how it is we value one another or fail to value one another and ought to value one another. When he gets to the latter part of this practical section, he focuses on relationships. He focuses on how we then ought to interact and interconnect with one another. For after all, he's told us we are members of one body. We are all different parts of this one body, but ultimately we are an entity together. And therefore, for this entity, this body of Messiah, this body of called out ones, this ecclesia, this church, this corporate gathering of Jews and non-Jews who've come together in Messiah, how it is we are to relate to one another. And so Paul is telling us the way we are to relate to one another is by submitting to each other. Submission is the heart and soul of inner relationships with one another. Dan spoke a little bit about that idea of submitting when he came face to face with the need to forgive. And to forgive means you need to submit. And to accept forgiveness needs you need to submit. Paul tells us in chapter 5 verse 21, submit to one another. And he says, out of reverence for Messiah, out of respect 
for Messiah out of a sense of honoring our Lord ultimately. And so submission is the heart and soul of relating to one another. And he tells us in three areas he focuses our attention. He focuses our attention on marriage, how husbands and wives are to mutually submit themselves to one another. Wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. They are to be supportive. They are to be buttressing what their husbands are doing. They are to be encouraging. They are to be building them up is what Paul is instructing wives to be doing for their husbands as unto the Lord. And in every situation, he says in everything, whatever the circumstances are there to be supportive behind us and ready to be there in our time of need. Now, if that's where Paul stopped for us men, husbands, That would have been a blessing. But he doesn't. He tells us, husbands, love your wives. Love them sacrificially. He tells us, love them so as to sanctify them. To make them more holy than they once were. How that is possible, I'm not sure. But certainly with regard to prayer, encouragement, and leading in terms of the spiritual direction one needs or a couple needs to move in. But he says, one day we are to present our wives, as it were, as a beautiful diadem ring on one's finger. One day we will all appear glorious before the very presence of God. Right now, we look at one another with regard to all of our weaknesses, all of our foibles, all of our needs. But one day, we will see each other in the very image of Messiah in which he's creating us in. We will be like him fully. And if we could see our wives as they will be in the very presence of God, imagine how that would transform how husbands treat their wives. So Paul is telling us with regard to submission, wives need to submit to their husbands. Husbands need to love their wives. And now he turns our attention to parenting and children, mothers and fathers and children. Notice what he says here. Children, obey your parents, plural. So when Paul goes on to say in verse 4, fathers, Do not exasperate your children. He doesn't just mean fathers are the only ones who are to be treating their children properly. He uses the term fathers to signify parents because the husband is the head of the household. The husband is the head of the wife, as he says earlier. So when he says here, fathers don't exasperate your children, what he means is parents don't exasperate your children. In the same way that he says, he doesn't say children obey your father. Although many husband, many wives would like that to be said. Obey your father. But it says, children, obey your parents. And thus when he says fathers don't exasperate, what he means is parents don't exasperate. Although we fathers have a greater ability to exasperate our children. I don't know why that is. But I found that to be the case in my life. But he says, children obey. Now, let me just share a couple of things here. First of all, this importance of obedience. 
In one sense, we could say children obey, but in another sense, we need to say parents, you need to encourage and help your children to obey. And the reason for that is because if we fail to teach our children how to obey, how can we expect them to obey God? If we don't help them to obey their parents, how can we expect them to obey the Lord? If they don't obey those in authority who they can see, how can they obey him who they can't see? And let me say this about obedience. This is not just important with regard to parents. It's important with regard to all of us. Because obedience is a thing we generally rebel against. If it's a red light, I can make it through. If it says, don't sign on this page, I'm signing. There's just something that gets ticked off in us that says, do just the opposite of what we're told to do. And somehow we take delight in that, myself as well. But obedience is a critical component of our lives in submission, as well as a critical component in our lives in submission, not only to one another, but in submission to the living God. Now, this is important because, look, you and I will just put our cards on the table. We are generally not happy with the government that is our administration today. Do I get an amen? amen? See, I knew that you were with me on that one. And yet, Paul tells us, pray for those in authority. Pray for kings, first of all. Now, here's the important thing. If we're going to be people who characterize and model obedience, and we can't pray for our political leaders, we're in trouble. If all we can do is criticize our political leaders, we're not learning what it means to obey because we need to pray for our leaders. Notice what Paul says. Don't pray against our leaders. He says pray for our leaders. Keep in mind, Paul is writing at a time when it is a dictatorship in the land of Israel. We're talking at a time where the Roman Empire is in authority, where there is a Caesar who could do whatever he wants, wherever he wants, with all the power in his command. And Paul says, pray for kings, first of all. So it behooves us as ones who want to model obedience for our children to learn to obey their parents so that they would obey God. We need to obey what the scriptures tell us to do. And rather than always criticizing our political leaders, we need to pray for them because that's an act of obedience to the word of God. You may not like what God's word says to do any more than a child likes when the father or mother says do or do not do. But that's what scripture tells us to do. Scripture tells us to honor those who teach the word with God, of God with double honor. Now, I don't like preaching on these, two, these kinds of passages too much. I feel really funny about doing that. But the word of God instructs those in the body of Messiah to treat with double honor those that are in leadership in the body. And I know how easy it is to criticize the leadership of our body. I can speak for myself. I know how easy it is to criticize me. Because there's much to criticize me about. As Edward had said earlier, we are all sinners, myself included. Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. I'm not sure I can make that claim, but I can get close. But nevertheless, we're to treat with double honor. 
Let me suggest that before we say anything of a critical nature about our leadership, let's remember, are we honoring them and what we're saying about them? If we are not, we're not supposed to do that. If we are intending to bring correction, that's a whole different story. We try to help one another live a life of submission unto God. But as Yeshua said, before you pick out the speck in your brother's eye, make sure you are dealing with the plank in your own eye. And I remember years and years ago when a pastor in a congregation I was sitting under was illustrating that. He said, whenever I read that passage, I imagine Messiah walking in front of my vision, in front of my you know, where, where he'd be looking, just walking right in front of him, dressed in like carpenter outfit, you know, the overalls and all that kind of thing. And on his shoulder, he's carrying a whole bunch of two by fours. And as he's walking by, he looks at him and he says, just remember the two by fours in your own life before you talk about the sawdust in your uh, brother or sister's life. So we need to count Others with double honor. That's an act of obedience to God. But Paul's concern here, and there are many other contexts in which obedience is a concern. I just speak of those two. But here Paul is concerned that children obey their parents. He gives us three reasons. Notice, number one, for this is right. What he's saying is by natural law, by conscience, we all know children should obey. Now, remember, obedience is not a blank check. We are to remember that we are to obey God rather than man. We have to be careful when there is abusiveness involved. There are all these other kinds of things that complicate matters that we have to take into consideration. But generally speaking, Paul is saying, where there is that loving family, where there is that stable, though imperfect family, Children know instinctively they should obey their parents, Paul says. It is right. The second thing he tells us, it is also by revelation from God. It is the first commandment with a promise. Now, if you take a look at the Ten Commandments, this is very interesting, that the first four or five commandments all contain in the phrase, the Lord your God. Take a look at this with me. Just look at Exodus chapter 20, just very quickly, because this is kind of a neat thing when when you spot these kinds of matters. You can see it also, Deuteronomy chapter 5, although the commandment there is phrased a little differently than in Exodus chapter 20. But if you look at Exodus chapter 20, notice it opens up verse 2, I am the Lord your God. Look at verse uh, uh, 5, you shall not bow down to them, these idols, or worship them, for I, the Lord your God. Look at verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. If you take a look at the Sabbath commandment, he says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Then look at verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving. The rest of the commandments don't have that expression. The rest of the commandments, they say don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet your neighbor's wife, and, uh, and don't give false testimony. 
But those first section all say the Lord your God. And notice what those commandments are about. They're about one's relationship with God. Remember the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Don't have any other gods before you. Don't, do not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Uh, he says, uh, remember the Sabbath day that the Lord your God has given you. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has stipulated. That links all of those commandments together. So if we're to divide the commandments, contrary to the way Christianity has divided them, but in accordance with the way Judaism has, has divided them, we have the commandments that deal with the Lord and, and parents on one tablet, as it were, and the rest of the commandments are secondary. Not second in importance, but are the next set of commandments on the next tablet, you might imagine. That means to say that in God's mind, obeying your father and mother is as important, dare I say it, as your love for God. Maybe that's saying it a little too strongly. Okay, I'll concede that. But nevertheless, obedience to your parents is linked to one's relationship to God in a way that the other commandments are not. If we do not teach our children to obey, we will not find them obeying God. And that is critically important. And if our children do not obey God, they will find themselves walking contrary to the way of God. It is important for our children to submit themselves to their parents as it is for parents to help their children submit to them so that they will voluntarily submit themselves to the Lord. And the third motivation, not only because it is understood by natural revelation, we all know in our conscience, it is right, Paul says, not only because it has been commanded by God, but thirdly, he says, because there is a reward attached to it. You will live long in the land. Paul changes what the commandment says. To read, not it, you will have a long life in the land, but you will have a long life on earth. So Paul is telling us of a general principle that is true. And that is, if we obey God's commands, and particularly this one, our life will be a good life. That's not to say in every instance that will be the case. But it is to say, generally speaking, where there is an orderly household, there will be a good life lived. And thus Paul reminds us that we should learn to obey our parents and to help our, parent, our children obey their parents because then their life will be good and their life will be full their life will be meaningful. That's what he means by long. He doesn't just mean he's gonna, they'll live for a long time, but rather their life will have significance and stability in a way that it will not otherwise have. So do you care about your kids? If you care about them, you want to help them to learn to obey. And the way to learn, teach them to obey is to model obedience in your own life where we need to do the same. Now, the last thing he mentions is the issue of slaves and masters. Now, some have not liked Paul here because this was a great opportunity for him to speak about the evils of slavery. But let me just mention this. While Paul does not speak about the evils of slavery, 
or suggests that slavery should not be a part of our existence. He doesn't condone it here either. He is not suggesting that slavery is a good thing or a bad thing. He's simply addressing the economic reality of his day and age. In the first century, 50% of everyone who lived in the Roman Empire was a slave. Half of all of humanity within the confines of the Roman Empire were slaves. In Rome, it was worse. In Rome, two-thirds of the Roman population were enslaved to the one-third. And slavery in Rome was horrific. If you think slavery in the South was horrific, and it was in nearly all instances, in Rome, it was horrific. In Rome, they could do anything they would want to their slaves. In fact, fathers could do anything they wanted to their children. I didn't mention that in regards to children, but they could do anything they would want. They could kill them if they so desire. In Rome, children never became of age. You were always your parent's child. And no matter how old you were, your parent could dictate whatever could happen to you your whole life. And in Rome, as a slave, you were enslaved. There was no hope. And if you were an infant child and you happened to be a daughter, God help you if you would survive. All the father had to say was, discard. And those children were just left to die. It was believers in Rome who took up those children and raised them and nurtured them. There were others that vied for those children for brothels. And for slavery. By the way, as we think about all of that, that still goes on today, as I'm sure you're well aware. If it disgusts us to think about what happened in the first century, it still happens in the 21st century. Slavery is a horror and a scourge in our world. Paul is not suggesting that slavery should be tolerated, but he's dealing with the circumstances that occur in his life. And notice the balance that Paul brings. Because in verse 9, he says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. So if there is a statement Paul wants to make about slavery, he's saying those that own slaves should treat them the same way he's telling slaves should be responsive to their masters. So he says, obey them, not only when they're looking to gain their favor, but remember, everything is in regard to the Lord. And he's saying about these believing slave owners, your slaves are people and not inanimate objects. It was Aristotle, by the way, who said slaves were animate tools, while tools were inanimate slaves. That was the philosophy that flourished in the first century. Paul doesn't say anything like that. Paul says that both masters and slaves will give an accounting before God because both are created in the image of God. And therefore, while slaves, and if we transfer it to the 21st century, employees are to do the work of their employer to the best of their ability, for their work 
is neither is not is not secular in nature. Their work is a sacred act before God. Oftentimes, and particularly in local churches, there is a distinction that is made between the secular and the sacred. Somehow being a pastor is sacred, but being a lawyer is secular. Somehow being a Bible teacher is thought of as being sacred, but somehow being a doctor or a painter or uh, a, a sanitation worker is secular. Somehow it is thought that worship leaders are doing a sacred work. Whereas actors and writers and playwrights are doing something secular. Paul wants us to know that dichotomy does not exist in the eyes of God. Whatever we do, we are to do as unto the Lord. That means if you're a salesman, your selling is an act of sacred work before God. It is an act of worship to Him. And whatever your job might be, we are to do it as unto the Lord. And this is what he says. Obey them not only to win their favor, but like slaves or servants or employees of Messiah. Do the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord because you are serving the Lord. And Paul's final point is to remember that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good that he does. Whether he is a slave or free, whether he is an employer or an employee. And therefore, masters or employees are to do the guidance and oversee of their workers as unto the Lord, knowing that there's no favoritism before God. The bottom line in this whole passage, in this whole section, is learning the art of submission, the skill of submission. The Lord Yeshua was submitted to his Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And similarly, wives are to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Husbands are to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Children are to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Parents are to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Employees are to say, not my will, but thy will be done. And employers are to say, not my will, but thy will be done. When that attitude flourishes in a community of believers, there is no telling what God will do in the community in which they live. Because that's the kind of thing all of us are looking for. Where there's mutual respect, appreciation, and honor that is shown to one another. Through affirmation, encouragement, and appreciation for who we are and what we bring to the body, to our community, and to our world. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L 
www.thepeopleofgod.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.